John chapter 17. Today we're returning to the 17th chapter. We have to rewind a little bit from last week. We had to fast forward to get to the 20th chapter to talk about the resurrection. As I said last week, we're not scheduled to get to the resurrection until sometime late June or in July. So we moved forward in our gospel study of John to, uh, to encompass the resurrection. But now we're going to move back to John chapter 17 once again. I've already preached three messages from this chapter. And this is Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, we remember that he first of all prayed a petition where he prayed to be glorified with his Father, with the glory that he had before the world was. Then he prayed a second petition, and that was for the disciples who'd been given to him. He called them his gifts that came from the Father. And then also he prayed a third petition, which is important for all of us here today, because Jesus prayed that those of us who would hear the gospel message and believe the message that the apostles preach, that we would be unified, we would become one body in Christ. But also, as we look at this 17th chapter, I think that we can find another theme that runs throughout the chapter, and that's when Jesus is speaking about the world. And Jesus gives us some insight here on how to identify the world and what happens when we encounter the world and what we're supposed to do. Now, sometimes we, we don't often readily identify certain things. Now, I've gotten, got in trouble before in telling blonde jokes, but I, I couldn't resist this one. I have to tell you this one today about somebody. And if you're blonde today, please forgive me. About someone who had trouble identifying things, but there was a blonde who went to an appliance store that was having a big sale, and she was looking for a bargain. So she went into the store, and she found something that she liked, and she went up to the salesman, and she said, you know, I'd like to buy this TV. And the salesman said, I'm sorry, but we don't sell to blondes. And so she went back home, and she dyed her hair, dyed her hair black, and she came back to the store, and she went to the salesman, and she said, I'd like to buy this TV. And he said, I'm sorry, but we don't sell to blondes. Well, she was a little flustered then, but she tried another tactic. She went back home. She dyed her hair again. She decided to do a complete makeover. So she got her a big fur coat and big sunglasses to, to wear to the store. And she waited a few days before she went back. She went into the store and found the salesman and said, I'd like to buy this TV. And he said, I'm sorry, but we don't sell to blondes. Well, now she's really upset. She said, how in the world did you know that I was a blonde? And he said, because that's a microwave. Did you get that? When John chapter 17, Jesus is telling us how we can identify the world. And he tells us how we can determine how to react to react to the world. Now, I want us to notice some things in the scriptures that we're going to read today where Jesus talks about the world. And we'll notice that, notice as we read through the times that he uses the word world. If you'd stand with me, please. We're going to look at the 17th chapter, beginning in verse number 3. And remember, here is the definition that Jesus gives us as he, of eternal life. Uh, John 17, verse number 3. He says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for another opportunity to be in your house today to talk about your word. And Lord, help us to open the scriptures today and show our folks something about the world and how we're to react to it, what you want us to do as your people. Bless in this service, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In John chapter 17, Jesus talks about the world. And a question we might want to ask, well, what exactly is the world? And that seems like a a simple question for us to answer, perhaps, but it's really not. Because the Bible uses the world in many different ways. And when the Bible says that we're not to be like the world, we would naturally understand that Jesus is not talking about the world of nature or the world that's around us. He wouldn't be speaking of the world in that way. And neither would Jesus be talking about the world of humanity. Because we know that God loves the world in that way. God loves humanity. And he sent Jesus Christ into the world to save some. uh, Some that were given as gifts to Jesus Christ by the Father. But when we think about the world, what the Bible is actually talking here about is man's system of thinking. The way that man lives. How people view themselves. The way that we ought to think and the way that we ought to act. And the Bible tells us that we fight an enemy. We fight an enemy on three different fronts. We we fight the world, we fight the flesh, and we fight the devil. The devil is that infernal foe that we fight against. And the flesh is the internal foe that we're fighting. And the world is the external foe. Now, the world is actually a system. The world is an ordered system because God created the world with order. The word world in the Bible is the Greek word cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. And this particular word is is a root word for many different words that we have in the English language. One word that comes from this word cosmos is cosmetic, cosmetic. And ladies, whenever you put your, your, your makeup on in the morning, you are creating order out of chaos. And... For a lot of you that, some of you that might be a little bit harder than others, but we we thank you for the effort for doing that. But that word cosmetic comes from the word cosmos. We also get the word cosmopolitan from cosmos. And when we use the word cosmopolitan, we're usually thinking of a compliment. It, It sort of means sophisticated, someone who's very in tune with what's going on in the world. But when we use the word like the Bible uses the word world, we certainly don't want to be cosmopolitan because God does not want us to be in tune with what's going on in the world. He wants us to be in tune with him. So how are we to relate to the world? Well, Jesus actually gives us some insight in the passage here about how we are to relate to the world that's around us. Now, we notice that we read the word world in verse number six. Jesus said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me, and they have kept thy word. Now, I want you to notice, first of all today, that we're saved out of this lost world. We were in the world but we're saved out of this world. See, at one time we thought like the world. We acted like the world. All of our habits were just like the world. We were living like the world. But the Bible teaches us that when we get saved, we're saved out of this world. Now, we think about the world, and the world has all of its fashions and trends, certain clothes that the the world wears, certain kinds of music that the world listens to. So the world has all these different things, but... The things of the world are always changing. 
The world's uh, fashions and the world's music, these things are in flux all the time. They're always changing as the years go by. When my parents grew up, for instance, what we, what we call elevator music, uh, uh, that was popular back then. And that's what my parents liked to listen to. Our young people today are not going to listen to the same kind of music. I don't know what this music is that they're listening to. I don't, I'm not, not even sure that you can call it music because I didn't know that you could bang trash can lids together and, 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 rant, and rant and rave and, and chant all kinds of curse words and suddenly we call that music. But that's what the world calls music today. The, the, the trends are changing. And we find out that some of these trends that are in the world are actually carried right on into our churches. Are you aware of that? I mean, the world's music has infiltrated our churches. It's hard to find a, a church like Berean Baptist Church that, that believes in singing the old hymns like we do. And, and it's rare to go to a church that you don't have a rock band up here that's blasting people out with all of that heavy metal and rap and all that kind of thing that goes on. So the world's fashions and trends are always changing. The fashion... Think about that for just a moment. I mean, how many of you remember the fashions of the past? Uh, something like leisure suits. You remember leisure suits? That was a dark day in America, wasn't it? Go, go to Dave Sharon's house. He has quite a collection of those. But this is the thing. What, what the world has and what the world is in style with is, is no longer the same. Things change. They keep changing. Things are always in flux. They come in style and they go out of style. But one thing that we know about the Word of God, that we know about the Bible, the Bible does not change. The Bible is always the same. And so what Jesus said and the Bible said 2,000 years ago is still good for us today. It never changes. And so what I encourage you to do is to plug your life into something that doesn't change. You may decide to plug your life into the world or you can plug your life into the Word. And when you plug your life into the world, you'll find out that you can't live in the Word of God. But when you plug your life into God's Word you'll find out that you won't be longer, any longer living in the world. Jesus saved us out of the evil world. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he gives us a little bit of insight in exactly what we were like before he saved us. There Paul wrote, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So that's what we used to be like. The world even has its own God. The Bible calls him the prince and the power of the air. And what he does, what this prince and power of the air does, he tries to blind the eyes of men, lest the light of the gospel should shine in. So that's the devil's work, keeping people from believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the word says that we're saved out of this lost world. And so we're no longer to act like we're still living in that darkness. The blinders, the veil that Satan has put over us, that's been removed when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, we find in the book of Romans that it says we're not to be conformed to this world. And that's exactly what the world is trying to do. It's trying to get you to fit into its lifestyles. The world wants you to have the same dress, to have the same habits, to talk the same talk. But the Bible says don't be conformed to the world because all the world wants to do is to pollute you. You remember what James said? Pure religion and undefiled before God is that we keep ourselves unspotted, unpolluted from this world. 
Now, I'm not telling you today that in order for you to be a Christian that you have to dress like they did back in the 18th century. But I am telling you that when the world's fashions and when the world's trends and the world's speech begins to lead you away from holiness and sanctity, then you're not to conform to those things. Be separate from the world. You're saved out of the lost world. Now, that's great. We're saved out of the world. But the Bible also tells us, Jesus tells us, secondly, that we're still in this wicked world. Now, we've been saved out of it, but we're still in it. And in the 11th verse, Jesus said, And I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So Jesus left the world, but he left us in the world. Now, wouldn't it be a, a, just a wonderful thing if you were able to retreat from the world? What if you could get just totally away from the world once you get saved? And there are many people who tried to do that. Uh, monasteries were created for that very purpose, so that people could dedicate themselves to God and they could get completely away from the world. But God never intended for us to, to isolate ourselves. We're to be insulated from the world, but God doesn't want us to be isolated from it. We're still in the world. Maybe you heard about that, that fellow that wanted to join a monastery and he became a monk and, and he went to this monastery where they are only allowed to speak two words a year. They, they had to take a vow of silence. They could only speak two words a year. So after the first year, this fellow went to the abbot and he was ready to speak his first two words. And he said to the abbot, bed hard. That's all he was allowed to say, two words, bed hard. He went another full year came around time to to speak again. He only had two words that he could say, and he said, soup cold. And that was his only two words. Then the end of the third year, he had two more words that he could say. And he went to the abbot, and he said, I quit. (laughs) And the abbot said, it doesn't surprise me at all. You've done nothing but complain the whole time you've been here. We can't get out of the world. That's impossible for us to do. We're not to retreat from the world. But Jesus says we're still in the wicked world. That's a fact that you have to live with. And that's why we have to be careful to remember we've been saved out of the world even though that we're still in it. Now, number three, Jesus tells us that we're suffering in this fallen world. Now, Jesus tells us that in verse number 14. He says, I have given them thy word And the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Have you found this out? Suffering is a part of the Christian life. No matter what anybody tells you, suffering is a part of being a Christian. Do you remember that scripture that we read a few weeks ago from John 16, verse 33? Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, I hope you underlined that when we studied it, because Jesus said, you will have tribulation. Don't believe anybody who comes along and says, living a Christian life is going to be easy for you, and and you're going to uh, fall into a bed of roses when you become a Christian. You know it's not true. You'll have tribulation in the world. But the Bible says, don't worry about that. Don't be concerned about it because we will overcome the world. And why will we do it? Because we know Jesus. And Jesus himself has overcome the world. John wrote, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So suffering, heartaches, they'll come. 
And they come because whenever you decide that you're going to stand on what's right, the world will hate you. Why do you have troubles? Because you're still in the world. The world is a place for trouble a troubled a place for Christians, and it'll always be that way. It's just a fact of life. The problem is you don't fit in. As a Christian, you don't fit into the world. I mean, you stick out like a sore thumb. And being a Christian and trying to live in a Christian life means that you have become a source of irritation to other people. When they see how you live and your life begins to judge their lifestyle, I mean, here's a world that wants to do their own thing, go their own way, and they're just happy doing whatever comes naturally. And the Bible tells us that what comes naturally to a man is not what God wants. I mean, the Bible says in in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, that the natural man does not like the things of God. He's disgusted by that. It's all foolishness with him. And so he hates all the irritants. He hates it when you try to judge his lifestyle. And so whenever you stand up for God, you're going to have trouble. There will be problems. And that's why as a church, when we decide that we're going to stand up against a gay and lesbian agenda, people in this area are not going to like us. As a church, when we decide, and you as a Christian, when you decide that you're going to be against things like the godless murder of innocent little babies, then the world is going to hate you. They don't like it. And when you decide that you're going to stand for morality and decency, the world will hate you because they like those kinds of things. They, I mean, they like things like casinos coming into Ronan Park. They like all of that stuff. And when you say that we're going to stand against it, when we're against those kinds of things, we're going to stand for God and what's right, the world will hate you. So make no mistake about it. People in this neighborhood, they hate the fact that our church is here. There are people who drive by our sign and they get angry when they see a message on there about morality and decency. People call the church and they get mad when we have a sign that says, uh, talks about people dying and going to hell and trusting Christ. They don't like that. Whenever you find yourself getting along with a godless society, then you just be sure of this. You haven't fallen in love with Jesus because those who love Jesus will be hated by the world. Jesus says in John 15, 19, If ye were of the world, the world would love its own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So take a stand for Jesus, and you don't have to worry about giving up all those lost friends. Your lost friends will give up, for you, give up you. Whenever you stand for him, they're going to hate you. So here's the picture. Jesus saved you out of the world. You are still in the world And therefore, you will suffer in this fallen world. Now, here's a fourth statement Jesus teaches about the world, that we are separate from this evil world. We find that teaching in verses 15 and 16. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, let's remember what Jesus is doing. He's praying a prayer And he's praying for those of us that are still in this world. He wants us to be insulated from it, not isolated. And so he prays that we would, though, be separated separated from the evil of this world. Christians are to be apart from that. Now, I think all of you know that very familiar scripture that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And so that means, as a Christian, there ought to be a very definite distinction 
between you and the people of the world. Now, let me tell you how fine the distinction is. Pay attention here for just a moment. I'll give you an illustration. Let's suppose that you know some good moral person. You know a man who's a good family man. He's good to his wife and his children. I mean, he takes care of them. He pays his bills on time. He pays his taxes. You're a Christian, but that man isn't. But as you look at your lives and you compare yourself to him, there's no difference between you and that man. Well, folks, if there's not any difference, then something's wrong with your relationship to the Lord. I mean, if you're not different simply than someone who's just a good moral person, I mean, when people of the world recognize that they ought to do some moral things, but you find yourself not any different from a person like that, there's something wrong with your relationship. Now, when you compare yourself to somebody who's a drunkard, a wife beater, Well, you'll measure up pretty good against that person. The distinction is pretty clear. That's not hard to see. But you need to be so separate and distinct that there's something that distinguishes you from somebody who's just simply moral. You haven't found out what a Christian is really like, what being a Christian is, if you're not distinct and separate from people who are just moral. There's more to that. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Everything about your life has to be totally separate from the way that the world thinks and does. Now, it's just like a boat in the water. When, when water starts to get into a boat, that's when you've got trouble. Now, you know, you can take a boat, I mean, even a, a little boat, and you can take it out on the widest ocean and on the deepest sea. Water can be thousands of feet deep, and you can float right on top of that ocean. And there's not a care in the world. Everything's just fine as long as there's no water in the boat. But the moment that water starts to seep into the boat, now you know you've got trouble because it's not going to be long because your boat's going to sink. So your wisdom, your attitude, your mindset, all of it, everything about your being, that has to be different from the world system. Someone wrote this apropos poem. They said, All the water in the world, no matter how hard it tried, could never sink a boat unless it got inside. All the sin in the world, all the wickedness and sin, could never sink a Christian unless it gets within. Now, folks, I realize how hard this is for you. I've been there, and I've done that. I've lived in the world. I've worked secular jobs. And you go to the office, and you find out there that, or at your factory, wherever it might be, there's terrible language that people are speaking. There are adulterous affairs that are going on around you. You see people who have a completely different idea about morality, and you have to live in that environment every day. day. But here's what you have to do. You've got to separate yourself from that and be different from it because the world is trying to pull you down. And when you try to mix it up with the world and try to be a part of them, they will always pull you down. You can't pull the world up. It doesn't work that way. Someone has called it the gravity of depravity. And you get stuck in the gravity of depravity and you'll always be pulled down. So you can't mix and mingle with the world. Not long ago, I heard about an airplane crash where the, the people that were loading the plane, putting the cargo on, they just kept putting, putting stuff on the plane, kept loading it and loading it and loading it, never checked to see how much weight that they had on it. And so when that plane started to take off, it got down to the end of the runway, it could never get lift. And so it crashed right off the end of the runway. And that's the way it is with a Christian life. If you overload your Christian life with worldly activities, I promise you folks, you will crash and burn. You won't survive it. The Bible says you have to separate yourself from the world. Now, I want to give you some questions that you can ask yourself 
about worldly activities. I want to think about that for just a moment. What is a worldly activity? You know, there, there's lots of people who, who, and churches who would like to make a great big long list of do's and don'ts, and they have this long list of regulations, and they'll tell you exactly what you can and what you cannot do. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to give you a list, but I want to give you some questions that you can ask, and you can determine whether this thing that you want to do is a worldly activity. And we need to get away from worldly activities. Number one, a worldly activity. Does it violate the Bible? Now, there are things in the Bible that are very clear commands, and we all know this. Read the Ten Commandments. Very clear commands, no problem at all understanding that that's against God. And so if it violates the Bible, it's a worldly activity. But some people will read the Bible and they'll try to escape what the Bible obviously says. And so they'll say, well, you know, there's some things the Bible doesn't actually say are wrong. And so they must be okay to do. For instance, is it all right to smoke marijuana? Well, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not smoke marijuana. But it's very clear to us there's a principle in the Bible. And when you violate the principle, you violated clear command of Scripture. And you ought to know that. So the Bible doesn't have to say it's wrong to smoke marijuana. You know that. How do you know it? Well, let's think about it. You're a Christian. Now, I'm talking to Christians today. If you're lost, you may not understand this. You may not get it. You don't know what a worldly activity is. But if you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. And the Holy Spirit helps you to differentiate these things. So you don't have to have it completely spelled out. You know this. If it violates a biblical principle, then it's wrong. Thou shalt not smoke marijuana. It's not in the Bible. But there's a principle there. There's a principle about your body. There's a principle about defying the authority of the land. It's a principle already set. So you ought to understand that. And if you think that you can argue this, that point, then you're just being foolish. You're being obstinate. These are very clear commands. Another question you might ask, does it dull my spirituality? Am I going to backslide if I do this? Am I going to be less spiritual if I do this? And maybe a better related question would be, will it increase My spirituality. You know, if we were looking for those kind of activities, wouldn't that be better? If we were looking for things that increase spirituality, things that we want to do, we'd never have to worry about whether it was going to dull spirituality, increase spirituality. Proverbs says in Proverbs 27, 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know what that means? It means that when a person engages in good, wholesome activity, good conversation with other people who know the Lord, then it hones their spiritual awareness. It sharpens them. It gets them closer to the Lord. That's looking for good spiritual activity. Question number three, can I ask God to bless it? You know, that'll stop a lot of wrong activity. Could you get down on your knees and can you say, Lord... Here's what I want to do. Here's what I have planned. And I'd like you to bless me when I do this. And another related question to that. Would you want to be found doing this particular thing when the Lord comes back? Ask yourself those questions. You know, I'm tempted right here to begin that list for you. To give you a list of things you can't, can and can't do. I'm not going to do it. You decide it for yourself. Plug in your activity and decide the question. Can I ask God to bless this? Question number four, is it going to make someone stumble? 
Now there's a question that most Christians really don't even think about. Is it going to cause someone to stumble? I mean, how's it going to affect somebody else? If they saw you doing this, and they saw you in the place where you have to do it, would that person assume that you're a Christian? You know what we're talking about here? We're speaking about Christian accountability. And we are accountable to one another. There can be weaker Christians who watch what you do. And if someone enters into a sin because they saw you do it, because they saw the influence that you had upon them, and they say, well, this must be all right, because brother so-and-so, brother sister so, they do these things, and so I can do it too. You're accountable. You can cause weaker Christians to fall. And Paul's explaining that very concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In that chapter, he was talking about eating meat that was offered to idols. Now, as far as Paul was concerned, eating meat that was offered to a dumb idol was not enhanced because he ate it, and neither was, he, was it detracted from because he ate it. It didn't really make any difference to him. But there were some people, there were some Christians who thought that it was very wrong. It would be very wrong to eat any kind of meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And so Paul said, because of that, I'm not going to do it. I'll stay away from that. Maybe it's not wrong in itself to do it, but if it causes somebody else to fall, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to cause another Christian to to stumble. They see there are a lot of Christians who simply say, I'll do what I want to do. I'll do what I want to do. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I have the right to do it, and so I'm going to do it. And so we assert ourselves, it's our right, we can do what we want, nobody can tell me what to do. That's not Christian behavior. You should always be concerned about what other people think about what you do. Now you may think that you're independent, you don't have to, but this is absolutely the way that God wants you to think. You're not the macho person who can go around saying it doesn't matter what I do. It does matter. It matters how it affects other people. Love demands that you think about how your actions affect others. Now, I, I've given you this example before about my father. When he first became a, the pastor of this small church in Kentucky, there were people there that were tobacco farmers. And when he first started preaching, I mean, he, well, he always preached against it, but especially then with all the people in the church that were smoking, he preached against smoking. Well, there was a fellow in the church that came to him and said, well, you drink coffee, and that's just as bad as smoking. And so my dad said, well, here's what I'll do. I'll stop drinking coffee. I'll never touch it again, and that'll remove your excuse for smoking cigarettes. Now, is it wrong to drink coffee? Well, you figure that out. Figure it out by the question the circumstance. Is it wrong to drink coffee? Now, I know, as sure as I'm standing here, somebody's going to go out today and they'll say that crazy preacher at Berean said it's wrong to drink coffee. Look on the other side of the curtain. There's a coffee pot over there, I think. It's probably still out there. I will tell you this, though. That stuff that Dalton and Zoe drink, that's sinful. I do believe that. That's wrong to drink that. But listen to the statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 18. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's a serious offense when you offend people by your actions. Don't you ever say, I don't care what other people think. You ought to care because Jesus cares. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, give none offense. 
neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So what kinds of things are worldly and what aren't? I don't have that list. I'm not going to give you the list. Many, many churches, as I said, they want to give you the list, and there are people who absolutely cannot live without the list. You have to tell me if it's right or wrong. And you know what happens when the church produces their list? When they have their rules and the regulations, you know what happens? Everybody comes out stamped like they came out of the same cookie cutter. Same clothes, same haircuts, Everything's the same about it. I mean, and they all carry their big four-inch thick King James Bible. And it's in a leather case with a pouch on the outside to hold the ruler to slap you with if you do the wrong thing. I'm not going to give you a list of things to do. You can figure this out for yourself. If you're a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're big people. You can figure out if the Holy Spirit speaks to you the same that he does to me if you're a child of God. So you don't need lists of rules and regulations. Take the questions and figure it out. Now, does it have to meet all four questions? I mean, can, can, uh, does, do, do all four things have to be wrong for it to be a worldly activity? No, just one of them. If it fits even one of those questions, that's a worldly activity and stay away from it. Now, Jesus teaches about the world. He has one more teaching, and this is certainly not the least of all of his teachings. The last one is, we are sent into this dark world. Jesus says it in verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Have you looked around you? Have you noticed that this world is seriously messed up? Things are out of shape. They're been out of shape. I mean, this infernal foe, Satan, that we fight, he has people messed up. We're all messed up. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said that ye... Now, being among these people in the world, that ye being blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Listen, he says, among whom ye shine as lights in this world. That's what we have to be. We're still in the world, but we're to be lights in the world. Do you know the reason that Jesus didn't take you immediately to heaven? It's because he wants you to be a light in the world. He wants you to speak to people. The reason the world hasn't yet ended is for this very fact that God still has some people in the world that he wants to save. And he's not going to end the world until they all get saved, exactly the ones he wants to. Now, we've got to keep being a light to the world so those people will be saved. Do you realize that as a Christian, you've only got one business in the world? One business you've been left in the world to do. You may have thought that your business in the world is to get ahead in life. My business in the world is to get a better paying job. It's to live in a bigger house, to have a better car, to get a cabin at Tahoe. That's my business in the world. That's not the business of a Christian. The business of a Christian is to be a light because that's the only reason that we're left here. Point number two, we're still in the wicked world. And because there are some that God wants to save, we have to be lights to a wicked world. Do you ever find yourself wishing and hoping that Jesus would come back soon? Do you find yourself wishing that? Then let me ask you, what have you done to make that happen? Now hear me out. What have you done to make that happen? There are people that God's going to save and then the world's going to end. And if we're not reaching those people, humanly speaking, it just drags out the time till Jesus comes back. Do you understand my reasoning? 
What are you doing to make Jesus come back? And there's a sense in which we do that. We have to keep witnessing to this lost world. Who knows? I mean, the next person that you witness to, the very next person could be the last person that will get saved before Jesus comes back. What are you doing for the second coming of Christ? Now, Jesus separated himself from sin. He most certainly did that. But we also know by reading Scripture that he surrounded himself with sinners. He was separate from sin, but he surrounded himself with sinners. And his contact with those sinners was that he might be a light to them for them to be saved. So the only reason that you ought to have a lost friend, the only reason you ought to have contact with the world, is for that purpose, to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't associate with the world just for the mere sake of association. Because when you do that, the world will start to infiltrate your mind, your lifestyle, your habits, and you'll become like the world. and You'll have that water in the boat. Now I want to close the message today by asking you a question. I put it on your listening sheet. I want you to look at this question and think about it. Ask yourself this, which world do I love the most? Which world do I love the most? Now fill in those blanks, but don't start fumbling with your papers and putting things up. I want you to listen to me for just a moment. Which world do you love the most? You see, there's another world. There's a higher plane of living, and it's completely separate from this world. It's a totally different lifestyle. Paul reminds reminds us of that. In 2 Timothy, Paul was ready to die. He'd already made all of his statements about how he's ready to go be with the Lord. But he made a very interesting one in in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Do you understand this, folks? It is possible for a Christian to so love the world that he becomes a deserter to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying he's lost. That's impossible. Once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. But you can become so in tune with the world and you can begin to love the world so much that you care nothing at all about the things of God. You get into a backslidden state. And so you need to ask yourself a question. Am I right now less spiritual than at some other time in my life? And if you can say that I'm not as spiritual as I once was, then you know the problem? Water has gotten into your boat. And if the water keeps getting into the boat, you're soon going to sink. Now, let's think about Demas for just a second here. I mean, he was a good companion to the Apostle Paul. At one time, he was a good companion. He's mentioned in the book of Colossians, right along in the same sentence with that great Bible historian Luke. But you know what happened to him? Water started leaking into the boat. And there got to be so much water in his boat that finally Demas was overcome And so Demas finally said in his own mind and to himself, I love this world better. I love this world better than I do serving Christ. And his life was lost to the service of Christ. Folks, again, if you're any less spiritual right now than you've been in any other time in your life, water is in the boat. And you know what you need to start doing? Start bailing. Start throwing some water out. Get the water out of your boat before it starts to sink you. Look at the worldly activities. Get rid of the worldly activities. The Bible says that you have to be in the world. You're still here, but you don't need to be of the world. What we need to do is, as the world turns, be the guiding light. You think of where the reference comes from. As the world turns, be the guiding light. 
Is that the way that you are, Christian? Are you a light to somebody else? Are you expecting Jesus to come back? Which world do you love the most? The spiritual world of Jesus Christ or this world that we live in now? Think about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the word that you've given us. Lord, I ask you to speak to the hearts of Christians today, and our message has been mainly to Christian people. Lord, uh, I just ask you to help us to examine our lives, see what's there, and may we start to remove all those worldly activities, get rid of it all, and dedicate ourselves wholly and completely to you. Help us to follow you in all that we do. Then, Lord, I pray for someone here today who may not be a Christian, And maybe the message has been completely lost on them because they don't really understand all this stuff about the world and being different from the world. And they'll never get it until Jesus comes into their heart. Would you speak to that person? Open their heart to the gospel of Christ. And may they believe today, come out of the darkness and into the light. Bless this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please.